Matthew chapter 11. You know, this is the Labor Day weekend, and this passage, I was thinking about what I would do. We're going to be getting back into Zechariah here in a couple of weeks, but I was praying about what to do, and I had another message that I was going to preach this morning, and I'm going to bring that message this evening. But this passage, the Lord impressed me to bring this today. I didn't hear a voice from God. I just believe that he impressed me to do this. Look with me at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't it nice? How many of you are looking forward to the day off tomorrow? Just enjoying a day off. We're going to do that. We're going to grill some hot dogs and looking forward to that. And rest from labor is a good thing. Jesus Christ told the disciples to come rest for a while. He, he commanded us, yes, work for six days, but, you, but on that seventh day, rest. We, we need time to rest. It's important that we do that, isn't it? But that's not what this passage is talking about. Let's read the next verse. So verse 28 again. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Now look at this. And ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, help us to understand what you're talking about in this text. And Lord, maybe that we can get some rest today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting. When Jesus Christ came and gave this message, it came to a time when people were rejecting him. Hold your place here in Matthew. Look at John chapter 8. I don't know how, but I, I don't know that I've ever noticed this passage, even though I preached through the gospel of John and <clears throat> I actually took a course in seminary on the gospel of John and I had to write my own commentary on the gospel of John. Somehow I missed this. It's amazing how that happens. How many of you have ever read the same passage and God has shown you something different than you've ever seen before? Look at this. This is such an amazing thing. John chapter 8 and look at verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. How many of you think that message is still important today? Look at the next verse. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Look at this. Thy record is not true. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? You bear record of yourself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh. I judge no man, and yet, if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me." It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. And he goes on to talk about who the Father is. 
When Jesus Christ came into the world, imagine what this is like. Who here is 30 years old? I need a guy that's 30 years old. Do you have a 30-year-old guy? 31, 32, 33? Matt, come on up here. How old are you? 31 years old. Okay, so here comes Matt. He comes into Sydney, and he says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. (laughs) What would you think? You cray-cray. Why are you acting so cray-cray? That's, and that's exactly what people thought. 30-year-old guy, 31-year-old guy comes along and says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, we, we, we're real spiritual. So we get in a situation like this. Well, it was Jesus. Of course they're going to listen. They didn't know who he was. Here's this guy with a crazy beard. Coming in, he's a carpenter. You, I think that Jesus was probably stout like this guy. Looking like a laborer. He's not coming here all smooth and Armani and all that. The worker with a mint. Do I need it? <laughs> it's so, thank you, Matt. It is so interesting when you take off the spiritual eyes and you imagine what the world was like when Jesus Christ came. Just a carpenter. And he walks in telling people, I am the light of the world. But the world that he stepped into was complete darkness. If you're ever interested in what the world was like when Jesus Christ came, there is a historian, his name was Suetonius. He wrote a book called The Twelve Caesars. And it was written, I I can't remember, somewhere between 100 and 200 AD. And you, you can get a copy of it and read it. And you can find out what these Caesars were really like. Just the, the wickedness, the evil, the paganism, the absolute debauchery of those people. And of course, we know, uh, you've heard of Caesar Augustus. It's hard to imagine how evil that man was. We know about Nero. We know about Caligula. We know about Diocletian and some of these others that were, that they were horrible, evil, persecuting people. Caligula, they called him Little Boots. And he was just an evil, evil person. This is the world that Jesus Christ stepped into. Of course, Nero and those, they came after Christ about the time of the apostle Paul, but it was complete darkness. Look at Galatians chapter four and verse four, and it describes the world when Jesus Christ came. The Bible says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. The Bible says, but when the fullness of the time was come, if Jesus Christ had come a hundred years earlier, we wouldn't have known about him. If he had come a hundred years later, We wouldn't have known about him. But when he came, it was the perfect time because you had what was called the Pax Romana. It was the Roman peace. And if you, how did the Roman peace work? Well, it it was like this. If you messed with a Roman citizen, you were destroyed. 
They had the Roman roads were established and there was, a, there was relative safety of travel so that you could work your way through the kingdom. Then there was also the synagogue system. Remember the temple and all of that, it was hard to worship that far away. So they established a synagogue system. So everywhere that, that Jesus went, all of the disciples, wherever they went to preach, there was a synagogue. There was a place where religious people were gathered to where he could open up the word of God and say, thus saith the Lord. We know that Jesus went to Isaiah chapter 61 and he read that passage and he said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ear. The time, was the, the, the Pax Romana, the Roman roads, the, the, the system of, of the synagogue system. Not only that synagogue system, but they taught, the Jews taught monotheism, that there was only one God. So if you went to Rome today, you can go to the Pantheon. And of course, that was the, the temple to all of the gods. And the Romans had many different gods. But what the Romans did when they conquered a nation was they allowed a certain amount of religious liberty in those places so that the Jews were still allowed to exist and preach their monotheism. So here you have a system that's already been established where Jesus Christ can come in and present himself as the Messiah. It was the fullness of time. It was a specific time that Jesus Christ came and what a miracle of God it was. It was the fullness of time. But according to the book of Galatians, when he came, he was made of a woman. So he was a man but made under the law, made under the law. That's why Jesus in John chapter, in Matthew chapter 11 said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus said to the Pharisees that you bind burdens on people's backs. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, when you make a, a proselyte, you, you compass the globe, compass the globe to make uh, one proselyte. And when you have made him one, you have made him more a twofold child of hell than you yourselves are. That's what Jesus said about these Pharisees. They were binding burdens on people's backs. They were laboring to have peace with God. They had the burden of that heavyweight religion placed on their shoulders. That's the world that Jesus Christ stepped into. And it's interesting, the darkness of that time was profound. And it's interesting when you look at our time, the darkness of our time is profound. For, for those of us, so I'm 56, for us, we grew up in really the first generation where the Bible was not in school. We grew up in the first generation that where, where everything is trying to be explained apart from God. So this guy yesterday in Texas, they, they try to pull him over and he pulls out a rifle and shoots the, the police officer. It, it, all, it was a, he didn't use his turn signal. He was supposed to use his turn signal. They're pulling him over. And he started shooting people. That guy a, a month ago just goes in and starts shooting children and shooting people. Where does that come from? How is it that we've gotten into a world where life has become so cheap for so many? How many of you think that that's dark? Why does that happen? Sometimes people talk about, well, it's just because there's too many guns in the world. How many of you have heard that? Have you heard that? Well, you know, back when, where's Tom May at? 
When Tom May was in school, when he would ride his camel, I mean his donkey, to, to school, all the guys from the farming communities came in in their pickup trucks. What was in the back window of that pickup truck? Rifle or shotgun? Maybe both. You guys, did you ever, did you ever go to school without a knife in your pocket? Man, I was raised, you're always supposed to have a knife in your pocket. Hey, what would happen if you brought a knife to school? You'd be in big trouble, wouldn't you? Why? Why is it that there were never school shootings? When, the, when everybody had a gun at school? Because there was an understanding that we were all created in the image of God. And that life had value. There was a moral code, a moral compass. I am certainly not saying that, all, that everyone was born again. That's not what I'm saying. But an understanding of humanity that came from a biblical, from that Judeo-Christian understanding of who we are. And our founders said that our system of government was only for a moral and a righteous people. It was wholly insufficient for any other group. When Jesus Christ came into the world, it was abject misery and darkness and paganism. And our world is quickly descending into abject misery and paganism and darkness. What's the answer? Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That's the world that Jesus Christ stepped into. It was a world of paganism. Today, we are living in a world of paganism. I was watching uh, an interview with Penn Gillette. Do you all know who Penn Gillette is? Penn and Teller, the magician, comedian. And he is a, he's a well-known atheist. And he calls himself a militant atheist. He's an evangelistic atheist. And a really good guy. Humanly speaking... A gentle man. He's libertarian. He doesn't want, he doesn't want people oppressed anywhere. Uh, he, he wants to be a kind person. He wants to demonstrate to people that atheists can be kind. And the more that I listened to him, the more empty he sounded. Why, if there's no God, so if there's no moral lawgiver then there's no moral law. If there's no moral law that comes from a higher power, then the only thing that we're left with is the law of the jungle and the survival of the fittest. If I have no purpose in life, if I'm not created for a reason, then my life has to come down to simple hedonism where I just experience as much as I can, as quickly as I can, before I fizzle out and can't do any more. Or, if life doesn't give me what television and media and, and this advertising world, if it doesn't give me that, then I'm going to kill as many people as I can. I hate my life, and I hate your life, and I'm going to destroy everything I can. What brings a person to that? Let me tell you a couple of things. Number one, rarely... Rarely do you find one of these killers in this world. 
that's married. I heard someone say, you'll never hear a guy that says, I'll be home in a minute, I've got to go kill, I'll be home in a a few minutes, honey, I've got to go kill a bunch of people. Almost never. Now, I'm not talking about a, a, a domestic situation where somebody goes crazy and kills their own family. I'm talking about these mass shootings. Almost never are they married, number one. Number two, almost never is there a father in the home. What does a father do? When a son is behaving inappropriately and starts exhibiting behaviors that are destructive, the father corrects the son. That's what happens. And so what has happened? We, we have a society that says fathers are not important. Marriage is not important. And so we end up with a society that is producing these young men who are completely out of control. There's a third component to it, and it's drugs. It's emotional drugs, drugs for depression, drugs for you name it. And what happens is now you have people to where the, you're, you're so convoluted in your thinking that your restraint is gone. Now, now listen, if a doctor prescribes drugs or depression for someone that genuinely needs that, that's completely appropriate. How many of you know that's not what I mean? Would you, would you help? I'm not saying you should never, if a doctor puts you on something that will help you, I take, I have acid reflux. I had it just a second ago. It was disgusting. No, I'm kidding. So I take Prilosec to help my acid reflux, mainly so I can drink coffee. I, I, I need to take that. It makes me feel better. If the, if, a drug helps you that's prescribed by a doctor that helps level some things so that you can function properly. Praise God for that. What I'm talking about are boys that have never been restrained at home. And so doctors put them on drugs so that society can control them. Well, then those natural inhibitions that would keep you from harming someone or yourself are removed. Have you seen the commercials? If you have suicidal thoughts on this, uh, on this drug, don't take it. That's a good idea. So we have this world of darkness that's trying to find answers for all the problems in society apart from any, any genuine moral law, apart from an understanding that we are created for a reason, apart from any understanding of the nature of society as God established it, the home, the government, the church. And we put everything, everything under the authority of what's right in your own eyes. And then we wonder why there's no rest in the world. We wonder why people are in turmoil. And then we as believers, we're living in this. We have come unto Jesus. We have understood who the light of the world is. We have come to him. We found the rest. And yet we look for our fulfillment in society. We look for our fulfillment and satisfaction through social media. We look for the answers of our lives through everything except where God tells us to have it. I'm not saying don't go on social media. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is those, that is not the same thing as having a relationship with someone. 
It's all, we all know the joke. You, you see it, two kids sitting next to each other, texting each other. Instead of talking. We live in a time where people are, they have, they are more connected than ever, and they're more lonely than ever. That's the world that we live in. And what did Jesus Christ say? Go to Matthew chapter 11. He said, come unto me, verse 28, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give your rest. The darkness of our time, people are working, but they're not happy. They have more than ever before, but they're heavy laden. You know what's interesting is the average middle class person in the United States right now has more, listen, you have more creature comforts than a king did 200 years ago. We have so much. Jesus Christ said in Matthew eight thirty six, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Luke twelve fifteen says, and he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So the darkness of the world in Jesus' time, the darkness of the world in our time. But what I want you to see is the dire need of our world for this message, the message that Jesus is giving. Look at it again. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a message of rest, but what I want you to see more than anything, this is so important. This is not about the rest for your body. It's about the rest for your soul. Do you see that in verse 29? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It's a message of rest. Rest of the soul, not of the body. And this rest right here that's being spoken of, it can't come from labor. You can't work your way into the rest that Jesus Christ is talking about. You can only get it from him. It's a message of rest, but it's also a message of unique ability. Jesus is the only one that can give it to you. And there's something that's really interesting. Jesus, he doesn't say, come join my religion. He doesn't, like Buddha, say, come and follow my teaching. If you follow my teaching, you'll have rest. He says, come to me. We don't invite people to a religion. We invite people to know Jesus Christ. That's the difference. It's a message of unique ability. He's the only one who can say it. Now, remember that I'm not going to make Matt come back up here, but Matt, he says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Come to me. It was a very difficult message to believe, a very difficult message to understand. But Jesus Christ today is still the one that says, if you'll come to him, he will give you rest. And I want you to notice the drastic difference of the message. So through history, in, in Greek philosophy, the, the Greek said, man, know thyself. It's interesting. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So that's the wrong answer. The Roman says, man, rule thyself. And everything was about controlling your body. And when you look at the Roman statues, they all look like me. No, the, 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 the Roman statues, they're, they're always glorifying the body of mankind and the warrior and the soldier and, and control and absolute rule. You can't rule yourself. What did Paul say? That which I would do, that I do not, and that which I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? 
So ruling yourself isn't the answer. And then religion says, come join the church and that salvation is in the church. Man, join yourself. You can become a part of this. And that doesn't work. Modern liberal Protestantism says, find yourself. Find find yourself. I'm lost. I need to be saved. And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. I can't find myself, but there's one who sought for me and found me and saved me. The Muslim says, submit thyself. And if you don't submit willingly, we'll bring the sword and we'll require you to submit. But all that does is make you a hypocrite. You can't make someone believe anything. The story that I tell about that kind of coercion is the father told the little boy to sit down. And the boy didn't sit down. He said, I told you to sit down. And he wouldn't sit down. Father went over and sat him down. He looked over at his buddy and he said, I'm still standing up on the inside. Because you can make someone behave a certain way. You cannot make them believe a certain way. Submit thyself does not work. The Chinese says, improve yourself. The Brahmin says, merge thyself. Become part of the great oneness of the universe. What? Jesus says, come unto me and deny thyself. It's completely different. It's a completely different message. This explains why all religions teach a life of works to get to heaven while the born-again Christian rests in the finished work of someone else. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, I'm so thankful that I got to come to Jesus. I came to Jesus and he saved me. He's given me a life that is so much greater than anything I could have ever imagined. Young people, I tell you this all the time. My dream for you is to have my life. Where you have a God, young men, you have a godly wife. Young ladies, you have a godly husband. You have a church that loves you. And you, you have a, a savior that has given you your direction to where you understand that your worth is because Jesus Christ loved you enough to come into this world and experience the suffering that he did so that we can have eternal life. He did it. Man, I'm so thankful that Jesus, are you thankful that Jesus is your savior? I'm so thankful that he came into this dark world. And as the world plunged farther and far, plunges again farther and farther into darkness, that one day Jesus Christ is going to take us out of this. And we get to be with him forever. Praise the Lord. But here's the cool thing about Christianity. <laughs> one cool thing about Christianity. It's not pie in the sky, by and by, one day all that's going to happen. It's that Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly. And that life gives me rest for my soul. So here's my question for you today. How's your soul? If you're lost, your soul is not at rest. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that's eternal death. That's separation from God forever in hell. Sometimes people say, why would a loving God do that? Ladies, this is such a great way. How many of you ladies have ever had a guy show you attention and you did not want the attention from that guy? Has that ever happened? Right? You say no. 
He keeps on coming. Keeps on coming. Uh, it's, it's a stalker. I think of that stalker song. My eyes adored you. <laughs> he's, he's, so now you say no. He comes and he asks and asks and asks and asks. And you say no. And so what he finally does is he does the caveman thing, gets his club, knocks you over the head, drags you to his cave, and ties you up until you love him. That's what the world wants God to do. Jesus comes and knocks on your heart's door. Let me in. Let me in. If you'll open the door, I'll come in unto you, and I'll sup with you, I'll eat and fellowship with you, and you with me. Just knock on the door. If you say no, he's not going to hit you over the head with a club and drag you into his kingdom. See, ultimately, we have two choices. The presence of Christ or the absence of Christ. Presence with God or the absence of God. The Bible says every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no shadow, nor, nor variableness, nor shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from God. So what is hell? Hell is the absence of everything that's good. If you want the goodness, you have to have God. If you reject God, you can't have the goodness. That's where the soul goes that rejects Jesus. Why would a loving God do that? Because that's the truth. That's the reality of it. He is goodness. Everything else is not. And so you can choose goodness and God, or you can choose suffering and pain and eternal torment and eternal loneliness. Those are the options. I'm interested, though, in this. I think most people here are born again. You have placed your faith and trust in Christ alone. How is your soul? Is your soul at rest? Or is your soul in turmoil? How many of you as saved people, there have been times in your life when it just felt like your soul was in turmoil? Would you raise your hands? Me too. That's why we still, it was Martin Luther, and you know, I've got some theological problems with Luther, but this was a great statement. He said, we must preach the gospel to ourselves lest we become discouraged. Jesus Christ, that rest that he gave you, that rest is still there. We just need to rest in that rest. Let's finish up with this. We looked at this passage in the Sunday school hour. Look at it with me. It's the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now, who's the book of Hebrews written to? It's a really hard question. Hebrews, right? So these were Hebrew Christians. They were living in the shadow of the temple. The draw to go back to the temple was there. And the, the book of Hebrews is don't, don't go back. Just keep, keep going in the faith. Follow Christ. For us, that siren call of the world to go back and away from God, it's always there. But there's a rest for the people of God. Verse, 11, verse uh, 10, 
For he that has entered into his rest, now look at this, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Remember, God created the earth in six days, then he rested. What the Bible says is that when you rest in Jesus, you cease from working to get to heaven. Remember, there's, there's only two religions in the world, only two, do and done. That's it. It's either I've got to do this and do this and do this or rest in what Jesus Christ has already done. Cease from my works. Now, do we still work for the Lord? But not so we can go to heaven, right? I don't do things around the house to be married. I do those things because I am married and I love my family. I love my home. Completely different thing. Verse 11. Let us labor, therefore. It is so interesting to enter into that rest. It's work to rest. Isn't that interesting? Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Stop working for the Lord. Work really hard at resting in the Lord. You can't do it yourself. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What's our, what's, what, how, how do we do this? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's what will happen. If you'll rest in the Word of God, that will reveal what's going on in your mind. It will reveal what's going on in your soul, and you can rest in Him. How many of you are saved today? Would you raise your hands? You know Jesus is your Savior. You know. How is your rest? Are you resting in Him? Times, there, life can be hard. There are situations that come into your life that you say, I never dreamed I would be right here. Even in that, God can give you rest. Amen? God can give you rest in that. We don't work for salvation. We work for the Lord. I'm so thankful that I'm saved. And I'm thankful that I know I'm saved. Not because I'm worth anything. Because Jesus Christ thought I was worth enough to die on the cross for me. And he offered that gift of eternal life and I received it. Young people, are you sure that you're saved? Do you know that Jesus is your Savior? Are you, do you realize that he just loves you so much? I was with uh, Brother Ferrier in the hospital a while back with his kids. And we were praying for Brother Tom, and this thought hit me. So his family loves him so much. They're sweet, precious family. And as I was praying for them, this thought came to my mind. God loves Brother Tom so much more than that family does. Isn't that interesting? When you pray for your kids, you can't imagine loving anything more. It's not possible to love anything more than you do your own children. You look at them, you just want to cry. You love your kids so much. God loves them so much more than you do. And that's what you guys need to understand. Whatever it is that you love, and it's hard to comprehend that you don't even know how to love yet. The older you get, God gives you a greater capacity for love. God loves you so much more than anything. It's amazing. You're his. You can rest in that. Your value comes in God's love for you. That's why it's worth saying no to the world, saying yes to Jesus Christ saying no to paganism, 
and saying yes to the Christian life. Praise God for that. The rest that comes, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's not necessarily bodily rest, but it's certainly rest for our souls. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I'm so thankful that many of you have experienced that rest that comes from your Savior. But if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, man, I've not experienced that rest yet. I need to get saved. Nobody's looking but me. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Pastor, I need to be saved. Again, nobody's looking but me. Is there someone here that would say, Pastor, I am saved, but my soul is in turmoil. I need that rest that comes from the Savior today. Would you raise your hand? Wow, around the room, all around the room. Praise the Lord.